Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, let's bow our heads for prayer. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. That is our prayer, that you would be glorified during this time of opening your word and preaching through it and listening to it and applying it. Lord, our prayer is that you would teach us your way, that we may walk in your truth. Our prayer is that you would now gladden the hearts of your servants and give strength where there is weakness and anxiety and trouble. Lord, that you would simply turn to us in this hour and be gracious to us is our prayer. We thank you so much for your word and for this opportunity to gather in a public building to look into it and meditate upon it and learn from you. Uh, We pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. These things we pray in Jesus' mighty, precious name. Amen. Right now, there's a gigantic cloud of dust and gas that's about 2,300 light years away from us. It's called the Ring Nebula. The Ring Nebula is a shell of diffuse gas from an ancient red giant star. And on a clear night with a good set of binoculars, you can see the Ring Nebula. Through binoculars, it looks sort of like a little smoke ring that's hanging there in the midst of space. And the thing is that if you were alive, say, a century ago, a hundred years ago, and you had the same set of binoculars and you took them out and looked at the Ring Nebula, it would look to you pretty much exactly the same as it looks today, a hundred years hence. Through binoculars, the Ring Nebula looks very small. To the eye, through a set of binoculars, it looks like it has not changed at all for decades and decades. So from our amateur astronomer perspective on Earth, the Ring Nebula appears to be, through binoculars, appears to be unchanging and constant. But now, in reality, the Ring Nebula is about one light year in diameter. So in other words, traveling at the speed of light, it would take you a full year to travel the diameter And also, in reality, the Ring Nebula is expanding outward at an estimated rate of 30 kilometers every second, which means that by some estimates, it's expanding by about 2,500,000 kilometers each day. That's really what's happening. If somehow you could come up close to the Ring Nebula and observe it for a few hours, it would be mind-blowing to see this immense rate of growth. But again, from the perspective of the amateur astronomer with a good set of binoculars looking up into the sky on a clear night, the thing looks constant, as if it has not changed at all for centuries. Well, why the astronomy lesson at the beginning of the sermon? The point I'm making here is a point about perspective. On Earth, through binoculars, you have one perspective of the Ring Nebula, 
But 2,300 light years out into, into space, right next to this thing, you'd have an entirely different perspective. Indeed, you'd have the correct perspective, the accurate perspective. My experience has been that when I'm suffering trials, often I lack a proper and spiritually healthy perspective on my suffering. It's easy to have the binocular view when you're suffering, a perspective that's somehow and somewhat deficient or inadequate. The pain of suffering, the pain of suffering, sometimes causes a person to drift away from accurate perspective, or they begin to focus on the trees rather than on the forest. The details, the circumstances of their suffering become the focus instead of the bigger picture. Well, friends, in his great mercy, God gives his children the proper perspective on affliction and suffering and trial, and he encourages us to embrace that perspective, to cling to that correct perspective, to be tenacious when we're suffering, to believe the promises that he has declared to us in his word. This morning, the passage we're handling in 2 Corinthians 4 is all about proper perspective for those who suffer as Christians. Our main focus this morning will be on verses 16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians 4, so I hope you have your Bible open. But before we get to those verses, I want you to notice a thing or two about some other verses that are found in the immediate vicinity of our passage. So if you have your Bible open, let's go back to the last verse in chapter 3 for a moment. 2 Corinthians 3.18, notice that Paul talks there about transformation. He says that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are being transformed. Did you know that? We are being transformed. So note that transformation language that appears in 3.18. And then go down to 4.6, chapter 4, verse 6. In 4.6, Paul talks in the language of the book of Genesis now. He talks about God shining light into our hearts, doing a work of new creation in the believer. So get this, 3.18, we are being transformed. 4.6, God does new creation work in the believer, shining his light into our hearts. And then go to 4.14 with me. In 4.14, we have Paul talking now explicitly about bodily, physical resurrection. He says, He who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So note the pattern carefully in these verses that we've looked at. 3.18, the transformation of believers. 4.6, the work of new creation in believers. 4.14, the future bodily resurrection of believers. There is so much glory in these verses. And I am convinced that when we get to verse 16, 
which is the first verse of the passage that we're considering today, the word that begins verse 16, that little word, so, that word connects to all the hope and the good and the glory that Paul has just been describing in 3.18 and 4.6 and 4.14. We are being transformed and God has done new creation work in us and we will be raised from the dead physically one day. So, verse 16, we do not lose heart. Are you with me this morning? Even if right now we're suffering and we're encountering grievous trials, we do not lose heart because of the astonishing spiritual realities of transformation and new creation and resurrection, all of which, as believers, we have to do. Are you in a place in your life where losing heart is a very real possibility. Has affliction invaded your life? The encouragement from 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 is to gain the proper perspective. To ditch the binoculars and go up close to the ring nebula, as it were, and get the right perspective. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you are suffering, the perspective that you are encouraged to gain and to cling to tenaciously is that even now, Almighty God is transforming you. Consistently, persistently, He's transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. Even now, you are a person in whom Almighty God has blazed His divine light to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a verse worth preaching on, but I won't do it now. And even now, you need to know that you will be raised bodily one day. Do you believe it? You will be raised bodily one day in an indestructible, glorified, physical, everlasting body to live with Jesus Christ for trillions upon quadrillions of centuries. And then some. So you do not lose heart. Well, let's go forward in our text. Note what Paul says next. Paul says, the Apostle Paul's writing, he says, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, it would be really easy to look at this verse and conclude that what Paul must be talking about here is the physical body on one hand, the outer self that's wasting away, versus the soul on the other hand, the inner self that's being renewed. It would be easy to conclude that Paul is drawing a line or a dichotomy between body and soul here. The bodies we have are wasting away while the soul inside us is being renewed. 
But friends, we must understand that the Apostle Paul didn't think in those terms. Paul had what we call a Hebraic understanding of the human person. Paul had come from a thoroughgoing Jewish background, we have to understand. And this means that Paul conceived of human persons, listen, as non-divisible, whole beings. So the body and soul dichotomy or division that some want to attach to verse 16 does not really cohere with the thought world of the Apostle Paul. Rather, what Paul is talking about here with the phrase outer self, listen, is the status that we have right now as human beings who live in between Adam and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The outer self is the us that lives in the present age prior to the second coming of Jesus. And this us that lives now in between Adam and the second coming is the full us who is tempted, who gets into danger sometimes, who suffers and decays. The outer self is the us that is being deconstructed, the whole of us that belongs to the passing age. And on the other hand, the inner self that Paul is talking about here, and again, we have to keep in mind that Paul is talking to born-again believing Christians here, the inner self is the us who has been enlivened by the Spirit, who has been enabled by the Spirit. The inner self is the us who belongs to the new age. It's the us who, in the words of Mike Horton, has been raised from death to life inwardly and will be raised bodily on the last day. The inner self is the us who is being renewed day by day, says Paul in our verse. This is the self who is being transformed, 3.18, the self into which God has shone his light, 4.6. The inner self is the self who identifies with the new Adam, Jesus Christ, while the outer self who is wasting away is the self who identifies with the old Adam. In the words of David Da Silva, and I rather like this, he says the inner self is, listen to this, the inner self is the new person taking shape inside and growing up into the resurrection body. I like that. The new person taking shape inside and growing up into the resurrection body. By fellowship with the risen Jesus Christ, And by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, the new self is taking shape and growing up into the resurrection body, even in the midst of cancer. Even in the midst of persecution. Even in the midst of family trouble or financial anxiety or depression. All manner of trial. And so, we don't lose heart. 
Well, let's move forward to verse 17. Now, this is just too, I'm going to say right now, too massive for this frail sinner to really give you the full meditation on, but I'm going to try with the Lord's help. This is a massive verse. Paul continues, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, friends, now here in verse 17, we have ditched the binocular view of our suffering, and now we're in the spaceship up close, right next to the ring nebula, as it were, with the proper, accurate perspective. There is so much sober and proper perspective on our suffering in this verse if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. So, when we're in the throes of suffering, some of you are there right now, it may feel, may feel like the weight of our affliction is crushing. Heavy to the point that we wonder about our ability to cope. And it may feel like an eternity. This pain and this trauma, when will it ever end? Paul himself knew about being utterly burdened with suffering beyond his strength, 2 Corinthians 1.8. Paul knew the physical and the emotional pain of suffering beatings, suffering Whippings for his gospel witness. Paul knew about anxiety. He mentions it in his letters. He knew about anxiety and about being bitten by poisonous snakes and about being shipwrecked and being yelled at by haters, being hungry, having rocks thrown at him to kill him. And yet, here in verse 17, Paul can call his intense sufferings and he can call our intense sufferings, no matter what they are, Paul can call them all light and momentary afflictions. Notice this. For this light momentary affliction, he says, and we ask the question, is this some sort of sick joke, Paul? Light and momentary affliction. Somebody says, I've been in deep, painful suffering for years now. So how can you call it light and momentary? Well, friends, Paul can call his sufferings and he can call our sufferings light and momentary, no matter what they are, because he has the proper, accurate, God-centered perspective. See, it's all about perspective. The worst suffering, I want you to listen carefully, the worst suffering that you can ever imagine going through in your lifetime on this earth is light when compared with something truly heavy, like, for example, 
spending eternity in hell. We would do well to see things in the proper perspective. And Paul can legitimately call our decades of suffering, if that's what we've been up against, he can call our decades of suffering as momentary, a momentary thing, because again, he's looking at it from the right perspective. Decade upon decade of suffering in this lifetime is painful. It is difficult to be sure. I'm not minimizing that. But in comparison, in comparison with the length of eternity spent with Jesus Christ, quintillions of millennia, think of it, it is a blip on the radar. It is a fleeting moment, our decades of suffering. Paul is simply encouraging us toward gaining a proper perspective on the suffering we encounter in this lifetime. Light, momentary affliction. And watch this now. Watch this in the text. The suffering, we need to see this, the suffering that we experience in this life as believers in Jesus Christ is, as we said last week, it is productive in God's economy. Suffering is productive in the economy of God. The suffering that the believer faces bears fruit in the economy of God. Look what Paul says here in verse 17. He says, for this light moment, watch this carefully, this light momentary affliction is preparing. This light momentary affliction is preparing. Note that extra carefully is preparing. The suffering that we experience is preparing something. The Greek word that we translate preparing here could also be translated as achieving or producing. Our affliction, friends, is producing something. Did you know that? It is achieving something in God's economy. What's it producing? What's it achieving? What's it generating? What is God working through my suffering as his child? And the answer comes next in verse 17. This light momentary affliction is preparing, producing, generating, achieving for who? For us. For us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all Comparison, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The outcome of the suffering we endure as God's kids is an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, in some ways, we can only guess at what's all contained in an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's worth considering here... That in the Hebrew language that Paul knew backwards and forwards, the word for glory in Hebrew is the word kavod. Kavod can mean either glory or weight. Either glory or weight. So then the concepts of weight and glory are intimately related. They are bedfellows. Weight and glory. And here Paul talks about an eternal weight 
of glory. This is a heavy fullness of glory that is eternal, a magnificent glory that goes on forever and ever and ever eternally. And it's being produced, says Paul, it's being generated by the light momentary affliction that we experience in this lifetime. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called The Weight of Glory. It's published in 1949. I've always been captured by what Lewis says in that essay. He writes about this weight of glory that Paul mentions in our verse, and Lewis argues, listen, he argues that it must have to do with what will truly and lastingly satisfy us. This weight of glory. It must be, he says, the actual consummation of our desires. He says, the weight of glory must be what we actually long for and search for in this life but can never quite capture. The weight of glory, says Lewis, must be the flower that in this life we've only smelled here and there but have never found. The weight of glory must be the tune in this life that we've only heard echoed but never fully played. The weight of glory, he says, is the country that we have never visited but have heard news about. The weight of glory, says Lewis, must have to do with being actually, listen to this, actually united with or bathing in or inhabiting the beauty that we only catch glimpses of here and there in this lifetime. I smell the smell of apple wood smoking as I'm doing a pork shoulder, and it's pleasurable. And it's pointing to something better. can't imagine the apple trees on the new earth. Lewis says the weight of glory experienced will be to, listen to this, to drink joy from the fountain of joy. To drink joy from the fountain of joy. The full weight of glory that we are moving toward as believers in Jesus, he says, is to be on the inside of a door which we have always seen from the outside. To be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off. Well, before we leave the 17th verse, I want you to notice something carefully here. Notice that Paul does not say, he does not say, in spite of this light momentary affliction, God is yet preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Notice that. It's not in spite of what we suffer that God prepares an eternal weight of glory for us anyway. It's rather that in the sovereign plan of God, the light momentary affliction is itself preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. God works in and through the trouble in our lives to bring about the weight of glory that will be ours. 
As Randy Alcorn has said, there is an essential connection, an essential connection between present suffering and future glory. You can't have the second, the future glory, without the first, present suffering. One more time. Alcorn reminds us there is an essential connection between present suffering and future glory. You can't have the second without the first. Friends, I hope that we're seeing and that we're embracing the perspective that God is giving us in this text concerning our suffering. I don't know about you, but to pause over verse 17 and to see here that God is achieving something massively glorious for me through my suffering, this brings me profound encouragement. We need to learn to have such a perspective to see and embrace the bigger picture when we suffer. And I know it's difficult. That's why we have the scriptures. Randy Alcorn tells the story of his friend Daryl Scott. Daryl Scott lost his daughter in the Columbine shooting. And Mr. Scott told Randy, when tragedy or suffering strikes, most people tend to be look-atters. Look-atters. That is, they tend to look at, to focus on, the circumstance of the suffering, the details of the suffering, but we're encouraged as believers to become see-throughers rather than look-atters, to see through the suffering and see that God is working something magnificent and full of glory, even if we can't see the precise contours of what that glory is. But to be see-throughers, with God's help, let's learn to be see-throughers rather than look-atters while we suffer. Finally, let's go to our last verse, to verse 18. Paul says, We look not, he's writing to believers, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That's the right perspective to have. When we're suffering, to look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, he says, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, notice this back in verse 16, the inner self was being renewed day by day by God's power. And now here in verse 18, the inner self is to focus his or her eyes on the unseen instead of the seen. And here the idea is for us to focus, to look upon the things that are not yet visible. Focus the eyes of your heart on the things that are not yet visible. The things that are not yet visible. That's what focusing on the unseen Means to focus on the things that are yet to appear, and they will appear. These are the things that will manifest at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The things to come when the kingdom is fully and finally implemented. The new earth, focus on the new earth. Our resurrection bodies glorify. I won't need glasses anymore and all the fillings in my mouth will have disappeared. Probably lose a little weight also. (laughs) 
the new earth, our resurrected bodies, seeing Jesus Christ face to face, walking with him on the new earth, swimming with him, whatever it is. Seriously, imagine. Focus on that time and place that is surely coming when there will be no more sin, death, devil, or tears. We look not to the things that are seen, like our momentary troubles, the ravages of the fall of humankind, complete with physical decay and all the rest of it. We look not to those things, but to the things that are unseen, that are yet to become visible. This is our perspective. For the things that are seen are transient. Sin, death, and the devil. All the troubles therewith. Transient. But the things that are unseen, the things that have yet to become visible, are eternal. The greatest genius American theologian of the 18th century was inarguably Jonathan Edwards. In times of suffering and trial, Edwards had the perspective of 2 Corinthians 4.18. Edwards contemplated things that are unseen. He set the eyes of his heart on the next world and on heaven so that he would be sustained in his trials. At one point, Edwards was experiencing a series of de- a season of depression, and he wrote the following in his diary. He was coming out of New York. He was feeling depressed, and he said, It is a comfort to think of that heavenly state where there is fullness of joy, where reigns heavenly, calm, and delightful love without alloy, where there are continually the dearest expressions of this love. Where is the enjoyment of the persons loved without ever parting? where those persons who appear so lovely in this world will really be inexpressibly more lovely and full of love to us. And how sweetly will the mutual lovers join together to sing the praises of God and the Lamb. When you suffer, look not to the things that are seen, have this mindset. The things that are seen are transient, but look to the things that are unseen, which are eternal. Well, friends, I hope our little trip through this section of Scripture has encouraged us toward the proper perspective when we suffer. The proper perspective is that even in seasons of pain and difficulty, God is ever at work, isn't he, in the transformation business, moving us forward from glory to glory until the time when eventually he will have us in our resurrection bodies. The proper perspective is that even in seasons of pain and difficulty, through those seasons, God is achieving for us, isn't he, an eternal weight of glory. The proper perspective is for us to focus not on what is seen, but rather on what is not yet visible. The best perspective is when we are see-throughers rather than look-atters. We don't lose heart when we have the right perspective. 
Let's pray. Our Father, you are a good, good Father. You are so good to us, mighty toward us, faithful to us even when we are faithless. You understand our doubts when we are suffering. You come in the midnight hour and you sit with us and commune with us and minister to us. Lord, you are such a good shepherd. We thank you for the care and attention and the power that we receive from you as your children. And I pray, Lord, for a person here today who is suffering something, uh, who is not, uh, doesn't feel able to get up in the morning or to bother people with their suffering or whatever it is, Lord. I pray that you would draw near either through your word or through a timely phone call or a meal brought or whatever it is, Lord. You are a creative God. And I pray that encouragement would come, the hope of the gospel would come for that person. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to one another, uh, to look at each other's interests above our own, and to be the ministers that you have called us to be to one another. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You have met for worship. Go forth to witness. You have met to hear the word of God. Go forth to share that word. You have met as God's people. Go forth as Christ's body. And may the Lord be with you. Amen.